Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Roberta Glass True Crime Report. Putting the true back in true crime. From New York City, Roberta Glass is now on the record. Okay, we are live. Last week, District Attorney of Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, vacated Adnan Syed's conviction for his 1999 murder of his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee. Joining me to discuss is writer and police officer Martin Pribe. In addition to writing for the Chicago Contrarian, Mr. Pribe is the author of three books, The Wagon and Other Stories, Crooked City, and Burn Patterns, and Sean Fitzgerald, who runs the Actual Justice Warrior YouTube channel. Sean has two degrees in criminal justice from John Jay College and has produced three excellent videos on this case, Welcome, Sean and Martin. Hi. Thank you for having me. So the first question I have is for Sean. How and why was Adnan Syed's conviction overturned? Uh, well, it's it's due to a number of factors. I mean, the first one is obviously the giant media campaign that's behind him. But I think the most crucial one is the fact that Mosby lost her primary election. So this was like her last kind of F you to Baltimore. And the guy who won the primary, who will be the district attorney for that area or state's attorney whatever they call it in uh in that county he promised already in the documentary he's the guy from the documentary that promised to overturn the conviction so it was pretty much a done deal based on the media campaign that this was going to get vacated not overturned mm-hmm. why isn't jay wild who i mean there was two people who were convicted in this case jay wilds and Adnan Syed. why wasn't jay wilds conviction vacated at the same time that Adnan Syed's was uh, that that's an interesting question. He is an accessory to a murder, partnering with a murderer that apparently didn't murder the person. So, I mean, he should ask for a vacation. Martin, do you think that's something? I mean, you know, innocence fraud better than anyone. I mean, do you think that's something that they'll do? Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm not intimately familiar with the case, but it sounds like politics is guiding this, and it seems like there's a can of worms. Maybe they don't want to open. I mean, it is, it's absurd that one guy is supposedly, you know, vacating the conviction and the other guy's remaining and no one's taking action. That's something rotten in Baltimore right there, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, if I could pull out my crystal ball right now, I would say that they will vacate Jay Wilde's conviction on a Friday night where the news is not active and just sort of vacate it quietly so nobody asks any questions and it doesn't get much press and sort of just goes on just like they did in the Central Park Five case with the people who made plea deals, just kind of just recently vacated one of their convictions. Go ahead. I think they're going to leave it because who would push for Jay Wilds conviction to be vacated? Jay Wilds admits to his participation in the crime and they're kind of framing him, you know, halfway because they can never really claim that the other person did it because Mm -hmm. no other suspect fits in the case like Adnan does. And a bunch of the suspects they like to point fingers to only work as accomplices to Adnan. So they're like kind of saying, oh, maybe it was Jay, maybe it was this other guy or whatever. So I don't think anybody's going to file for him to get his conviction vacated. I think it's just going to stand and you're just going to have to look at it and be like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Right. You may be right. You may be right. You may, they may just allow that thing to just hang there. I'm glad you brought up the other suspects. Everybody's talking about these other suspects. Who are these other suspects? There's the, the I think his name is like Bilal or something like that. He's like Adnan's mentor at the mosque. He has no independent motivation to kill Heyman Lee. So mm-hmm. it like he doesn't work as when you look into his his thing, he doesn't work as an individual suspect. He would have to be like a secondary accomplice for Adnan, which is why they don't want to point the finger at him directly. They just want to say there's other suspects, even though they were vetted, assessed and turned down as is not viable. And then, you know, they always like to point to the boyfriend, but he has an alibi. You know, Adnan has three alibis. So, you know, maybe three beats one. <laughs> but right. Um, and, and do you think that any of these people will be charged with this? No, no way. So now we're looking at a conviction that's technically unsolved now, right? I mean, is that the way it goes? Yeah, well, the case should be open. And it's funny because they asked Mosby and there's an interview where they ask her about whether or not they're going to bring charges against somebody else. And you could see like a an expression come across her face like, oh, no, we're not going to charge anyone else. Like, we we all know what happened here. Like, it's not going to happen. Martin, if Sean is right, if Marilyn Mosby knows Adnan Syed is really guilty, why is she doing this? Well, I mean, she's part of this whole movement of the Soros prosecutors who are, you know, transforming uh, prosecutors' office into political uh, activism. And in in particular, with, you know, undermining the criminal justice system. I, I would watch very carefully what happens with this case if this guy tries to go into civil court and claim some kind of settlement. I mean, that, in Chicago, that would be the next step. The other thing I would be very interested in is, is talking to the top investigative detectives in the case, because I would imagine, you know, they know it more intimately than anyone. And they, they probably could put it in a much tighter and clear perspective of just how utterly absurd the whole thing is. You know, all the prosecutors in Baltimore, Boudouin and San Francisco, but they're all utterly transformed criminal justice into, in particular, to this exoneration movement, because the exoneration movement is incredibly lucrative to the attorneys. And I think a lot of the money gets goes back into the elected officials and the media that supports them are all very highly ideologically driven. They have a very ends justify the means in these cases. They refuse to look at the evidence. They ridicule people who bring up the evidence that it's false. That would be my assessment. That's what I would be watching out for. Sean, why do you think what happened was they said we're vacating the charges and we have 30 days to retry him. So the attorney general jumped in, joined with Heyman Lee's family lawyer, Steve Kelly, who I interviewed. I encourage everyone to check out that interview, was going to challenge this vacation of conviction. But before half vacation, it looked like maybe they could retry him, but they, they didn't. Why do you think that she dropped these charges so quickly before a judge could hear the evidence and hear about these new suspects? Once they're out, once they're cleared and you have to do a completely new trial, that's steps that people don't want to take. So if you get it out as soon as possible, then, you know, it's ready to go. And this was set up to fail completely because she said she was basing this on the DNA evidence. This wasn't a DNA case. They ended up testing the clothes that Heyman Lee was wearing at the time of the murder to try to find the like touch DNA, which you couldn't test for back in the day. And they were like, oh, this might point to a new suspect. And then they also tested the shoes in Heyman Lee's car in addition to that. So the clothing, they didn't find any DNA, which makes sense. Adnan was wearing winter clothes. It was winter when this murder happened. It was snowing. He had gloves. They weren't testing like her neck or anything because they didn't swab for touch DNA back then. They find nothing on the clothes. And she was buried outside for over 30 days. They find nothing on the clothes. And then they find four DNA profiles on the shoes in the car that she likely wasn't even wearing. And they claim that that's the real killers. And my question is, why don't they test the shoes that she was wearing in her home that, you know, was, were kept over there because you would find more real killers. If she happened to step on more DNA throughout the course of, of her day-to-day life. And I've had people who've reached out to me and saying that when they do classes, this is one of the things that they do in the class is they swab their shoes to show you how much DNA you come into contact with. So, yeah, they, they vacated based on that. 
there's no explanation for how Jay Wilds, the day that Heyman Lee went missing, could tell his friend who testified to this in court that Adnan killed Hay that day and the body wasn't found until six weeks later. It's just, well, the DNA, there's some real killers. Maybe the real killers, her cousin or her brother or anybody who happened to go to school with her, whatever. Just don't look too closely at it. Ignore the cell phone location data, Jay's testimony, the third parties that also heard about her death before her body was discovered. Just forget all that. <laughs> you called that DNA fraud. I mean, what do you mean when you say DNA fraud, Sean? Adnan was hey ex-boyfriend. So if they test anything in the car and they find Adnan's DNA on it, they're going to say, well, yeah, they were ex-boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, they're obviously going to find his DNA. Nobody disputes his DNA was in the car. But then if they find other random profiles because, you know, she was a teenage girl, she might have driven her parents around, her little brother, other friends, she was quite popular. Then they're going to say that's definitely 100% the killer, even though DNA doesn't come with the timestamp. There's no evidence at all that the killer would have needed to touch her shoes in order to strangle her, much less the shoes she kept in her car. So this was designed to produce an alternative suspect. You know what hasn't been discussed at all is the red fibers that were found. And Adon said he wore red gloves. So what that seems to me much more relevant than any kind of DNA. I mean, I, would you consider this a DNA case? No, it's not. It's not a DNA case. Like a bunch of cases. It's not. A, it's just not. And what's funny about this case is they'll also mention that like other random people that they can place in the area will have sexual assault convictions or whatever. But the thing is, Heyman Lee wasn't sexually assaulted. You would think in a random case, the motive might be robbery or sexual assault or something else. This was just a straight up murder. And Adnan already admits that he asked Heyman Lee for a ride that day. Like he admitted that in the serial podcast, in the worst interview you could possibly give, he's trying to come off as innocent. So she's like, they see her leaving school at two fifteen. Adon asked her for a ride. He, for no reason, gave his car and phone to Jay. Then he later denies that he even asked her for the ride. And after she's missing but not dead, this guy who would call her each and every single day never called her again. Like if my friend was missing, the first dumb guy thing I would do is try to call them. But Adnan's like, nope. He's a very smart liar because he just can't remember where he was. Just like, oh, no memory. So it was a, he, it was he a never day had like, to commit himself. It was just a normal day. So he just doesn't remember. He doesn't have any alibi. So it, it was a it was a day just like any other day. You know, like when you're <laughs> uh, when your first real girlfriend goes missing, and then the police call you that day to ask where she is, and then all the Korean community <laughs> goes out on a search for her. It was just like a normal day in January. So it's like, why would he even bother remembering that? Martin, you brought up the DAs. Why would someone want to release a killer? I mean, why do they? Why would they want to put in power these kind of DAs with this kind of ideology? Well, this this goes back to the late '60s and the early '70s when when there was a real movement. The radical left really saw the value in criminalizing the police or criminalizing the the justice system. And to do that, the, the most effective way they've been able to do that is to transform these, these killers into often folk heroes or victims. I, I think one of the key things you have to understand with all these cities that have these prosecutors in them, this, this second component is they have to know that there's a Department of Justice that's not going to come sweeping in and clear up these grave injustices, and, and in my mind, outright corruption in Chicago, it sounds like in Baltimore. Merrick Garland and the DOJ is never going to come and, and investigate these prosecutors, let alone indict them. And this is the central pillar, the central guiding force of this movement. And this took place in Chicago. Is that This movement did not take off in Chicago until they were able to get a Department of Justice that they knew would not come after them. I think this that played a central role in the election, the last three elections in this country. They were very nervous when Trump got in there because if Trump put a real legit attorney general, everything could have changed. Everything really could have changed in these big cities. Hmm. And so it's a machine now. They they have the as Sean said, they have the media, they have the prosecutors, they have the attorneys, they have these youth who have been bought and sold into this whole mythology, these young, especially these young journalist activists, they all think they want to be heroes and, and get this poor innocent guy out of prison. 
I don't think they even imagined early on when they first started doing this in the early 70s how utterly lucrative this would be. I mean, the city of Chicago is writing 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollar checks on these cases, and they're laughable, sickening. So they clean up in the civil court. So when Adnan comes back and he says, hey, I, I, I was wrongfully convicted. Look, here's my proof. My conviction was vacated. Civil courts, the bar of evidence is much lower. They tend to just not, they tend to just pay out these. Yeah, well, I would, like, I would like to ask Sean about that because, uh, I mean, it's going to be, it sounds like in this case, it's going to be an interesting journey from his getting out of prison to filing that lawsuit because when he files that lawsuit all this evidence is is going to be re-examined and they're going to have they're going to have a tough time it'll be interesting to see how they paint it and i wouldn't be surprised if you see in the next few months some stories appearing in the media that hey maybe the detectives did something wrong hey maybe maybe the detectives were in on this because that's how it works in Chicago. So it, to me, like I said, it would be fascinating to see how they're going to put this, if he is going to sue. I mean, if he doesn't sue, that in and of itself is suspicious. If you're so wrongfully convicted, why aren't you seeking justice? But if he is going to sue, all this evidence, the whole re-examine of the case could also blow up in their face. So they're going to have to work on it politically. They're going to have to get, in Chicago, they get the city to settle these cases. They get the, the media to attack the city and, and pressure them. And so the, the city council and the, the, the corporation council, the attorneys say, oh, it's too risky. Let's just write them a check. And, you know, then they come back with another one. So what do you think, Sean? Do you what, what do you see this a civil lawsuit going? Well, it, it depends on what the state attorney general wants to do. So while the district attorney in this case is very doesn't care, just wants him out. She's rigged the system to get him, quote unquote, exonerated. The state attorney general has fought this on appeal each and every time. And even Mosby's motion, which he's powerless under Baltimore's weird vacation of conviction statue, he refuted each and every claim in there. So they could fight it on principle. I want them to do that. And they'll likely win, even though there's a lower bar. But the incentive is to settle because there's a ton of money behind Adnan. They're just going to fight to get a settlement. And a lot of these places settle because it's less expensive than actually fighting out these cases. Like even if they do the right thing and they don't pay him a cent, they could end up spending, you know, three times the amount of money. And this is a policy in New York City where they just settle a bunch of these cases out of hand rather than fight it out in the court of law. But he would he should on the merits definitely lose. There's a reason why it took the jury two hours to convict him. And there's already this stuff about how the detectives are are shady in this. And for some reason or no reason in reality, they decided to frame Adnan because they were bored, I guess. And frame the honor student. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think the, I, I agree with everything you say is very interesting. But one thing is the city oh, the city councils or whoever the re- elected representatives, they always come forward and say, well, it's cheaper for us now to settle because it could cost us more if we go to trial and it's going to cost us. But that's in Chicago and most of these cases, that's a complete lie. Because once you settle with these guys once, they don't go away. For example, in Chicago, if one detective gets a case tossed and the city settles on it, they just go into the prisons and they find out every guy who was put in prison by these detectives and they come back. I mean, the city of Chicago is looking at paying out a billion dollars on a collection of cases against a detective named Raymond Guevara. I think all the accusations against him are a laughable, dark joke. They've already paid a lot out on him, but it could be a billion dollars. So I, whenever I hear the city say that, oh, it's cheaper, I jump all over them. But I think what you say is true. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting journey to the civil lawsuit. It really is. Adon doesn't have to file a civil lawsuit. Like he can go give speeches like the Central Park Five do exactly. and make his money that way. Exactly. Like Rabbi has already moved on to to do another podcast because to find to get that Scott Peterson guy out of out of prison. So like she's gonna make her money. She's already has the best selling book and all that. Uh Sarah Kaning, like she's already made her money with the serial podcast and become, you know, a worldwide sensation. They don't have to sue, but they kind of, you know, if you're gonna tell everybody it's a wrongful conviction, you at least have to file. Yeah. And there's lawyers who are gonna want money out of this. You know, I mean, there's there's lawyers who are gonna want money and and they they see this each city as like once you open the window of this you can start feeding more cases into it like i said i would really be interested to interview the detectives on this case 
I just like to go through step by step of their investigation. For example, you mentioned the Central Park Five. When you look at the detective's investigation of that case, you see how absurd the whole thing is. Yeah. You know, it's utter, one of the kids said, I had nothing to do with it before they even found the victim. And he's like, with what? One of the detectives like, nothing to do with what? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, exactly. that's how that's how all these absurd these cases are. So, well, I plan on talking to the detectives, but I plan on interviewing them in Morse code because that's <laughs> how they gave Jay Wilds all the information about where the car was with a tap tap. So yeah, that's yeah. so look forward to that interview, especially who, all these Morse code enthusiasts. What? Who who knows Morse code? You know, I don't know any cops who know Morse code. Do you know Morse code, Sean? Do you, no. Do you know any drug dealers that know Morse code? Any, yeah, exactly. any drug exactly. What teenager would know Morse code? Why do you think that the, our press has been so uncritical about this? Skeptical. They are just like announcing it's an exoneration. Well, I, I think it's just become a kind of a mythology. And when, when something becomes a mythology, it, it takes on its own reality. But I think in Chicago, you know, they, they like to say the police are corrupt in Chicago. But I think the media in Chicago is 100 times more corrupt than the police department. I think that in Chicago, they've been pushing this narrative for 40 years. How would it look if it all just suddenly started to fall apart on them? It would mean that there really is no journalism in Chicago. And there isn't. It's just become a mythology. I think some people in the media are purely evil. They know or they don't care about the truth in these cases. I think others are just kind of silly and stupid. And I think others are just gullible. And I think others are cowards because they deep down know there's something wrong here. But who wants to take on this great, massive lie? I was going to say, it's also like you see in the local news, like every now and again, you'll find a really good local news segment about this where they look into the facts of the case. Like that's what happened with Julius Jones thing, but it will get 1800 views. And the Julius Jones documentary is a national thing. And there's also people that want to undermine criminal justice as an institution. And they figured out that sympathy for the criminals doesn't work. But saying the criminals are innocent does work because nobody wants to lock up an innocent person. So I think that's part of the strategy for some of these people. They know they're really guilty, but they're against the death penalty. So they'll they'll try to make them look innocent for a death penalty case. They know they're really guilty, but they don't believe in life without the possibility of parole. So then they'll be like, oh, well, they're innocent. We have to get the sentence reduced or, you know, something like that. Very well said, John. Very well said. I mean, do you think that the majority of the public supports getting rid of life without parole? You talked, Sean, on your channel about John Fetterman having two murderers on his staff. I mean, and he's ahead in the polls with a stroke. Do you think that the public is supporting this? They're not. If you look at the polls, like the death penalty still polls pretty well in the United States of America. The Fetterman thing is, you know, like people will say they're in favor of criminal justice reform because they've heard about this injustice or that injustice. But when it comes to policy, it's like New York State's bail law. When that's actually implemented, then you see a guy like Lee Zeldin who had no chance uh, to run for governor against Hochul all of a sudden within striking distance of her. Because when you see the results of lax criminal justice policy, when you learn that criminal justice reform is soft on crime and these people will be getting out and they will be continuing to offend, like, you know, it's all fun and games to pretend that they're like angels that have been rehabilitated when they're in prison. But when they come back out and they continually reoffend, you know, the rubber hits the road. So like so overall, I still think that there's like a harsh on crime attitude, even though some areas in particular have been convinced and, you know, they get suckered into guys like Fetterman and Fetterman's wild. The Horton brothers, I, I thought that was a felony murder where the, one of the brothers wasn't the shooter. But no, no, one of the brothers was definitely the shooter in that case. Like he he killed somebody and shot two other people. There's three witnesses and somebody identified the license plate when they left and their story makes no sense. They say they just picked somebody up randomly, like in the 10 minutes between when they escaped to a car, we had the same last four digits of the license plate and the same color and were a mile away from the bar where they all committed the robbery together. This one guy came out with guns and they just picked him up and they were like, oh, no, it's total coincidence. Like the story makes no sense, but they're out and they work for Fetterman. Wouldn't you think that that would kill his campaign, having two murderers on your staff? I mean, but apparently... They, they attacked Dr. Oz for pointing it out. <laughs> they were like, oh, no, they're innocent. Like, here's what they say happened. 
they don't present any of the evidence. They're just like, no, no, here's what the Horton brothers say happened in one of their appeals. Because in, in different appeals, they changed their angle of attack against the case. This word innocence is like a magic word for murder and rape, but not sexual predation. I mean, if you went out and said Harvey Weinstein is innocent, it would really have no power because the media is very pro me too. But on this issue, you say innocent, it's like a magic word, like, whoa. Robbie is doing a show on Scott Peterson's innocence. Mainstream media is, <laughs> before Robbie's podcast did, uh, did a big documentary on, his, on Scott Peterson's innocence. I mean, 10 years ago, that would have been laughable. I mean, just laughable, as laughable as making a documentary about Jerry Sandusky's innocence. But it's okay with murder and rape. It's so weird. Do you have any insight into why that is? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I guess because the victim's dead. Like, so they can't really speak out against them, like, like the rapist. But I don't know, Martin. Well, I mean, in Chicago, they've got a lot of rapists out and uh, rapists and murderers. So, you know, with with Weinstein, you know, he was doing this for a long time and he was still living in the grace of celebrity and wealth all while this was all going on. I think finally that the worm turned for whatever reasons I can't tell. But when the media turns on you, they'll, they'll throw you on the altar. But, it, you know, as long as you're useful to them, or the story is dangerous to them, they'll bury it. You know, they, they, they bury, there's so much in these cases in Chicago that they just, they, it's like there's a boundary around the federal courthouse where all these motions come forward, citing all this evidence that one case after another is completely bogus. And no one, no one in the whole media spectrum will mention it. It's not like there's like a majority of them. It's, it's a monolith. It's like a, you know, a Soviet party apparatus that you, you can't mention this. And I, I think the real key, and I, I really think it's too late in a lot of ways, but I think the key is to create alternate media. I think kind of what you're doing is like a kind of a revolutionary thing, but the road is so uh, long ahead. The, you know, the other thing, Sean, you probably comment is this, you know, this is movement is from the far left, but there's really no one in the right who's even touching the corruption in the innocence project the uh the wrongful conviction movement it's a dirty world where you got to get your hands dirty the the right says that they support the police but in these cases they really don't they don't support these detectives whose lives have been destroyed whose reputations have been destroyed some who've been in may face criminal charges the right washes their hands and walks away so there's no alternate media. There's no f real fight there on the right uh, on this movement in particular. They'll talk about defraud the police. They'll talk about, you know, legislation and policy against police officers. And, you know, we support back the blue, which is fine. But, you know, in the, the, the front lines of this movement, which is taking place all across the country, the letting out of these cold-blooded killers and rapists, and then the turning the, the cops into criminals, the right is not helping at all. Oh, it's it's worse. Sometimes they ate in a bed. So uh, Matt yeah. Schlapp, the head of CPAC, jumped on board with the Julius Jones case. And of course, he has Julius Jones's lawyer and gets the side of the story from the lawyer. And we saw him at CPAC and we asked him, we're like, well, you said in your in this presentation, which was clearly innocence fraud propaganda, that sometimes years later, DNA clears these types of criminals. Right. And then you also said you did your research on the case. So then we we give him the appeal where Julius Jones got DNA testing on the bandana worn by the killer. And Jones says he didn't wear any bandanas back in the 90s, which is ridiculous <laughs> on its own. But they do the testing, advanced DNA metrics. They find out that it was Julius Jones, like the bandana matched his DNA. So Schlapp just got the story from the Innocence Project. And it's really funny because the Jones documentary makes a huge deal about this bandana. It's the linchpin of the documentary. They get the testing 
they choose the lab, everything. They set it up for Jones' success. It comes back Jones. They just never mention it. The bandana does not exist anymore because it proved him guilty. And that's and, a really key point. When the Innocence Project, when it comes back with the DNA, Julius Jones is not alone. When it comes back with the DNA, like with Purvis Payne, they keep pushing innocence. They don't give up. They don't walk away from their client. I'm sorry. Oh, Sean. and Tommy, Tommy Laren yesterday was interviewing a lawyer. I forgot her name, but she's described by the media as Kim Kardashian's mentor. And she's interviewing her and she's saying, oh, well, you know, what gets me really upset is when, you know, they release all these violent criminals without any bail. But that's not what you're in favor of. It's like, no, no, that's exactly what she's in favor of. Like she's she's Kim Kardashian's mentor on this innocence fraud nonsense. And you're you keep trying to find common ground so you could say, oh, I'm in favor of small government. Let me find some government overreach somewhere in the criminal justice system so I can be on board and I can be hip. And, you know, the Innocence Project does donate to a lot of these nonprofits and all that in order to get them on their side because they're loaded with money. So, like, I'm sure that has a factor in there, too. I've heard Matt Schlapp will take a check from anyone. But, yeah, they... these conservatives interview these people they only get their side of the story and like they never reach out to the families and then they're like oh yeah well i was convinced this is the one issue where i agree with the left on is what you'll hear when they're not silent so either they're silent which is terrible or they're terrible on the case because they only get the same side that's popular amen john amen the republicans in in oklahoma trying to release richard glossa by going to an Innocence Project connected law firm and having them reinvestigate the case. I mean, the money is too good. I mean, you can either do the right thing and and feel good about yourself or get extremely rich and release a murderer. What do you think most people would look at at John Fetterman? I was going to say, look at the John Fetterman, Dr. Oz race. So John Fetterman, as Lieutenant Governor, pushes for the release of criminals. He hires two murderers to work for his campaign because he says they're innocent. So you're like, okay, that's John Fetterman. He's a Bernie Sanders type Democrat. So like he would probably be the worst of the worst on it. So then you go to Dr. Oz. You're like, oh, I'll vote for him. Republican should be fine on the issue. Go watch Dr. Oz's segment on Julius Jones or Rodney Reed or any of these cases. He he pushed this on daytime TV just like everybody else. It's terrible. I know. So he doesn't, you can see when he talks about being tough on crime, there's just no passion. There's no heart in it. And it just seems like, do you think that the, to be on TV, you have to embrace this ideology, Martin? In Chicago, you do. I mean, I, I think a, ju- a journalist in Chicago who would question this is would be, you know, marginalized at the very least. It's, you know, Chicago, Chicago to me is sort of a, a, a prophecy for a prediction of the country because I see the strategy of the left is to create one political party instead of two and to have the the one political party to be in control of vast, vast institutions from media to academia, to education, to unions. And that's how it is in Chicago. And Chicago's a, a catastrophe. It's a very, it's, a, it's worse for the people that they always portend tend that they're trying to help. Minorities, they're putting these killers back in African-American neighborhoods, Latino neighborhoods. I think the strategy, I, I think that there's a revolutionary element going on in the country. I really do. I think, I think we might be in the midst of a revolution. It's doing well. It's doing very well. I don't it's- see the fight back against it. I'm sorry. It it seems very much like what happened in this case, which is replacing a DA. Because the number one comment I get is, well, the prosecutor let your podcast is always so pro-prosecution. Why are you having an issue with it? But this is a different breed. This is just another arm of the defense. The brief that let Adnan out with all these new (laughs) suspects read like it was written by Erica Sutter's who is Adnan Syed's lawyers, Innocence Project's interns. You know, it's that crazy. So, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty dark to think. I mean, none of us would say, oh, let's get Adnan Syed a lawyer when he was back in prison who's really a prosecutor and who's going to work against his best interests. I mean, that's essentially what's going on. The prosecutor and, is now just another. You have two defense attorneys talking to each and, other in and Mosby. In court. Mosby is a defense attorney. She was a public right. defender before she got the prosecutor's office. And I remember in February, the Baltimore had thirty six murders in under thirty days or something like that, and they had cleared zero of the murders. 
every single year Mosby was in office, there was over 300 murders in Baltimore. Unmitigated disaster as a prosecutor. And it's because this is what she's spending her time on. So, and, and the crazy thing is, is that in the Adnan Saeed documentary, because the primary was the same three candidates that ran again for this primary, she was painted as the second worst option. And she is the second worst option. The guy who beat her is worse. Like, and he's coming <laughs> to power. And and Mosby, of course, like, fi- she she claimed financial hardship and tapped her 401k illegally under a COVID program, right. which is so absurd because she gets paid by the city of Baltimore. She didn't lose any money. It's the most slam dunk fraud case that you could have from the federal government. And she still kind of barely lost her primary in that case. And that's the only reason the worst guy won. So it's not like it's going to get better in Baltimore. They, they have the guy who is even more pro-Adnan, even more pro-innocence fraud coming up. These people are prosecutors in name only. Not only do they come in with their own agenda and their own ideology, but more crucially, they fire every single prosecutor, like the experienced litigators that actually work in the DA's office. In, in San Francisco, they called it the Friday Night Massacre. And that's why the, they're not even capable of prosecuting these cases if they decide that they want to you know, actually do their job because they got rid of all those people that could do the job. That's exactly right, Sean. And in addition to that is getting rid of the competent people is you can't imagine what it's like for a lot of the the, the, the police trying to get the prosecutor to approve felony charges. They want to try the case on the phone and, and not approve charges as if they're a defense attorney, as if they're already representing the defense. And this has been, a, I think, a devastating hit to the morale and really good detectives have been completely shut down and and people are don't even want to bring cases forward because they know the the prosecutors have this whole so you know in addition to the legislation and the, the policies that these prosecutors prove just the basic mechanics of the criminal justice system the process they've undermined and messed it up so much that guys are just getting off because the the pro, the machinery of the system is is not even functioning anymore. And this is this is why it says it's a complete undermining of an institution. It's not just incompetence or a couple of corrupt people. It's a very specific, coordinated attack nationally across the country. And the foundation of it is the exoneration movement. And and by the way, the the um they they'll sometimes write absurd things in why they're not charging the cases. There was one that came out of Philadelphia recently. Again, Krasner, he's one of these like Soros, Sean King back district attorneys. By the way, you can find a list of them on realjusticepack.com. That's like the official political action committee that's supporting them. They're all over mm-hmm. the country. But yeah. like that, there's a case where it's a carjacking in Philadelphia, of course, experiencing insane amount of carjackings, record all time murders in Philadelphia, not record since the 90s when crime was m- way crazier, record all throughout American history for Philadelphia. They get the description from the person. She tells them that her AirPods are in the car and she can actually track them with her iPhone. So the police follow the AirPods. They find the person as described and the other person as described together. They find the gun, which was stashed eight feet away from them because, you know, they don't like to have the gun on them when they're not actively committing a crime. And they find the car. They make the arrest. You think it's a slam dunk case. And you read the document. You're like, oh, they got it. Game over. Right. She identifies them. And Krasner writes out why he's not going to charge them. And one of the reasons why is because the victim was Asian and the perpetrator was black. So that creates problems in the case, apparently. So there's also the racial justice component of it, which is anything but justice. It's just, it's insane to see this in a document for a district attorney. Like the prosecutor's looking for excuses not to prosecute the case. And if you're a person who got carjacked on armed carjacking, then why would you even bother to report it next time? Because you solved the case for the cop and the DA still won't charge them. Good points. Uh, I, I just chime in too. I mean, we we talked about e- even the the police unions, the Fraternal Order of Police. They're not paying any attention to this exoneration. I, t- I tried for three years to say, you know, this is going to be the the Frankenstein that comes after cops and your members, and you're going to be paying legal defense. And I just you just can't get the, even them to to jump in. And if there's ever an institution that should really be focused on this, it would be to me the police unions, but. They just really have been disappointing in this. You know what we left out is Becky Feldman, who is the assistant state uh, attorney, who 
has released 30 other life without parole cases. And this is what keeps me up at night is what's it, what those cases are like. And if I would bet, I would bet every single one of them is as ridiculous as Adnan Syed's case, except it's not as celebrated. And those people are just let out and we won't hear about them until maybe if they kill again, hopefully not. I mean, it's just like this kind of thing, like, well, we'll let them out. Hopefully they won't do anything again. We'll just keep our fingers crossed. And she comes from the Innocence Project and, and here she is an assistant DA. It's just, uh, it's just so crazy. Martin, you broke the Anthony Portier All Story Simon story in Chicago where the Medeal Innocence Project students framed an innocent man in order to get a guilty one-off death row. And that was done with journalist students reinvestigating the case and talking a lot about grooming. I mean, do you think is that so many of these Becky Feldmans are groomed in this Medeal Innocent Project schools, law schools? I have to be careful what I say here, but I, I, yeah, I think I think there's something very disgusting going on with what's going on with these kids. And I think they're getting pulled into something. You know, these kids, they've never even probably seen a crime scene. They've never probably talked to the, of a victim's family. They've never told somebody, oh, your, 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 your husband or your daughter was murdered. And they just seem to be able to get, you know, these kids involved in this. And under the veneer of a university, it gives it such a, you know, a, a, a sanctified and, and official orthodox stamp that everything they're doing, you know, is these, and it's the whole process is, is it's very, very dark. It's very dark. I, I, that's about as much as I think as I should say right now, because of the, you know, all these people are quite litigious, you know? True. Is there anything we missed that, that you wanted to talk about Sean or Martin? No, Sean, you're a very, very articulate young man. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I mean, what is your prediction of where this is going? I didn't think we're running out of time, but I mean, where do you think this is going, Sean? I, I mean, I think it's going to get worse nationwide because you look, they're running more candidates for more of these prosecution positions. And to be honest, it's really a solid strategy. Because there's not a lot of money that it takes to run these campaigns in these elections for a district attorney. So if you just juice one of the candidates, chances are, even if they don't win the first time, then when they get more name recognition and come back around again, eventually they're going to get into office. So I do think that the number of overall prosecutors are going to go up. I have a lot of hope for Lee Zeldin winning the gubernatorial race. Because as an example, if he actually follows through, he says he's going to remove Bragg from the district attorney position. And I think that's something we need to push governors to do because the state it's it's like the states created the federal government. So the federal government has some restrictions on how they can meddle with the states. But all the municipalities and the way that they're incorporated are at the leisure of the states. So if you're running for governor as a tough on crime Republican and you have these prosecutors that are undermining everything that you stand for, you have to remove them from office. Like get them out, like take like I don't care if you have to reincorporate the city or whatever, pull a Michigan and install emergency managers like they did after the financial crisis. But you can't have these prosecutors and it's not good enough to say, oh, it's just blue cities that have this problem because it spreads. And it gets worse throughout the country. And it's not like these people are trapped on an island. Like they do get out and they do affect regular society as well. Not just the dreaded blue cities, which, by the way, I live in one. So I'm a little bit concerned about it. Mm. Martin, where do you think it's going? Uh, I, I'm not too hopeful about it. I, I think the the three pillars that have to be pursued are alternate media, folk, you know, with tr real traditional journalism following the ethics of journalism, you know, to put the evidence out there. I think you need to restore America's confidence in the election system so that people will stay involved and feel that their vote is being recorded. And I think third of all, you're going to have to put an attorney general and a department of justice that not be also transformed into a politicized weapon. But I really think the chances of all those three things coming together are kind of slim at this point. Uh, I'm not very hopeful about things. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Are, are you still are you still in Illinois, Martin? Yes, I am. 
so you guys just passed a, a horrible bail reform law. So I, I don't think that there is reason to be hopeful in Illinois right now. No, because... no. But I, I think. What is that? What is the bail reform law? The, well, they passed this body of legislation that's extraordinarily anti-police and pro-criminal. And it's pretty much legitimizes, you know, the policies of somebody like Kimberly Fox. And it was passed in the dead of the night by one vote. But uh, like 100 out of 102 state uh, prosecutors in the state have signed on to a lawsuit that it's that it's not legal, it's not constitutional. And from the lawyers I've talked to, that they have a sound argument. So it, it could be prevented or overturned through the courts. However, this is, again, another instance, I think, in which that even if they were to lose, to, to lose this legislation, if it were to fall apart, they still have made so many gains in policy and in the process and in so many different fronts of attacking the, the criminal justice. I don't think if they overturn this safety act, it's called, it's going to necessarily slow them down. You know, for me, it's like, where was the the right? Where was the, the, the conservative movement in Illinois when this was all taking shape? I mean, why after it's passed is there all this passion that's good and they should eliminate it but again the right is just not focused on these things they're not seeing things coming down the line early on and right. uh so you're right sean yeah and and you're of course right that if if you have like kimberly fox is basically the policies that they pass at the state level so exactly. whether they go through like it's only going to make it worse for the rest of the state. It's not going to fix the problems of getting that overturned. But based on the way that bail reform and it's such a bad name for it, too, because you're like, oh, bail, like, you know, like that's a lot of money for these people. It really has nothing to do with bail. Like I've been calling it what it is, which is same day guaranteed automatic release for violent criminals, because that's what we have in New York State. If you're arrested anywhere in the state for and, and regardless of your criminal history, Regardless of if you already have pending cases, if you commit one of the crimes that are on the list eligible for same day automatic release, you will be released same day automatically. And there's also raise the age, which means if you're under 18, all of a sudden you're a baby and you can't be charged as an adult for almost any of your crimes. And there's another one that I forgot where they don't let you violate. It basically forces parole officers to not violate people's parole. So that's how you end up with that situation where that guy who was arrested for, you know, sucker punching somebody, putting him in the hospital, he needed brain surgery because of the swelling. And that guy turns out he was on parole for life for being a sex offender because he forced a child to have sex with him at gunpoint and they didn't violate his parole. It took an order from the governor because she's running in a tough election to violate this guy's parole. So if you have one of these laws at the state level, like you need to fight that before it gets implemented because we've had it since 2019. And it's not just New York City, it's every county or 99 out of 100 counties or 98 out of 99, I forget exactly how many, that are seeing increases in crime. And it's largely due to the fact that these people who should be held pre-trial are automatically released. Yes, I, I'd like to add one thing, I, I think, from what Sean's saying is what you're going to see now, I think, is, is big cities become completely unlivable with the crime. And these prosecutors are going to make them unlivable. And a lot of the people, even the people who originally supported these candidates, will start to move out and move away. And I think they will capitalize politically on these cities in a way that will help them capture the states in elections. And that they're building this infrastructure in the big cities to own the states. This is kind of what happened in Michigan in the election. It was the counties around Detroit, which really delivered a lot of the you know, suspicious election, you know, whatever happened there. But these big cities will control the electoral votes for the state and they will deliver the states to their political machine. Just like every ward in Chicago votes, you know, some of these wrongful conviction cases, the aldermen vote 50 to nothing or 49 to one in favor of them. So the states will all be on one political monolith, which this is what they're coming after. They're going at it through the big cities. And, and as decent people flee the states because they're worried about about this, they only become more and more solid blue. So like you yes. get to that one party control. And I saw a question in the chat right quick that said, have Heyman Lee's parents commented on Adnan's exoneration? They don't speak English like they're Korean, like they speak Korean. The only direct relative that spoke English 
was Heyman Lee's little brother. So it's hilarious that these people who always claim racism, and that's a huge part of their grift, are taking advantage of the fact that there's a language barrier in order to silence the victims in the Heyman Lee case. So And hilarious in a very dark sort of way, because they're also claiming Islamophobia for Adnan being convicted. But last time I checked, uh, 80 Koreans didn't come out to lie for lie at trial and sign a document saying they would do so. But 80 people at Adnan's mosque did do that for that trial. That's right. That's really the most disturbing. There's so many disturbing parts of this whole story. It's been very depressing (laughs) to report on. Have you found it depressing? I found it very depressing. It's depressing, but in a way it's almost comical because a huge portion of the documentary is look at these bloodthirsty Koreans. They just wanted to have anybody convicted and look at how like saintly this community of like Muslims are and Pakistanis in that that Adnan was a part of. And then you look at the trial transcripts. It's like, well, the Koreans came together and they were looking for hey day one. And they just wanted to see the right person convicted. Every single statement when translated, that's what it says. And you find out that Adnan's defense attorney filed paperwork saying that they were going to testify that he was at the mosque at the time of the burial. Then they found out that the police could place him somewhere else. And all of a sudden, those 80 witnesses were like, oh, wait, no, he wasn't there. (laughs) JK, LOL. Right. One community performed poorly. The other one performed admirably, and they racistly smear the one that performed well because they're on Team Adnan. It's just unreal. It just feels like we're living in bizarro, upside down, immoral world. Did I miss anything? Does anyone have any questions before I go? I think I think that's uh, I think we've done it, guys. Sean Fitzgerald, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at, on YouTube at, at the Actual Justice Warrior, uh, on Twitter at I am Sean ninety, Instagram at Actual Justice, and I have a new website, ActualJusticeWarrior.com. I know that's a bunch of different links. It's too complicated, but I was never great at social media integration. So, <laughs> so uh, the link to your YouTube channel is in the description of this video, in addition to Martin's books. Martin, where can people find you? Chicago uh, Contrarian? I write uh, for the Chicago Contrarian, and uh, I have a website, crookedcity.org, if you want to check out my books. Excellent. And the books, so link to his books, are in the description of this video. Thanks so much, guys. I enjoyed right. it. Thank you very much. Great. Have a great week, Thanks. everybody. Yeah.